We inform. Religious freedom is about people of faith being able to live out their faith, live out their convictions, no matter where they are. We equip. This is a battle of worldviews. And we activate. We also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character hope. This is AFA at the Core on American Family Radio. Welcome to AFA at the Core. My name's Matthew Mayer. I'm filling in again for Walker Wildman. Honored to be in this position. I absolutely love that intro. That bumper gets me amped up, especially for the topic that the Lord has laid on my heart today. I'll give you some background before we jump into that thread. Just got back from North Jersey. I am hailing from South Jersey, and if you're from this area, you understand that's like two different countries or two different states, really. North Jersey probably should be absorbed into New York, and South Jersey, we are the true New Jersey. Forgive me for any listeners up in that area. Uh, We love you. But I just got back this morning. I was up there all week on a speaking tour in the high schools up there, sharing my testimony and my story. State Farm Insurance uh, allows me to do that. And I kind of want to just share with you an interesting observation. It'll, it'll set the stage for our topic today. I've been doing this for several years. I have the opportunity and privilege to go into municipal alliances, public high schools, private high schools, Christian high schools, colleges, secular campuses, and I share my testimony. You can find out more about what that means at truthovertrend.com. That's truthovertrend.com. God has been gracious in my life. It's a story of redemption, the catalyst of forgiveness, both extended to me in spite of me, which set me free because of a decision I made in 2009. And of course, God used that to get a hold of my life finally and fully falling back on a faith foundation that I was raised in, Christian family, which is going to be the theme of today's show. But I start off that way because I'm telling my testimony in these schools, and I'm seeing an interesting disconnect between several years ago and today with the students. And I don't know what you can accredit it to, maybe COVID. A lot of us have looked at studies and data recently about what COVID did to our youth, the generation beneath me. It could be social media. That absolutely plays a part. But I'm seeing there's a failure to connect with the youth of our day. Back several years ago, it would be easier to capture these young minds. They would be interested in the testimonial. They would be crying when the story presented the opportunity to do so. They'd be laughing at the jokes that were told. But not now. It's strange. You're looking into these eyes of these kids, and there's a disconnect, and I'm preaching and teaching with passion. And sadly, there is this interesting correlation between the receptivity of the kids of today and probably the family. Why do I make that connection? Well, the enemy is going to attack the nuclear family. That's what he's been after since Genesis 2, to divide the nuclear family. If he can just chip away at the family, the father, the husband, the mother, the wife, the kids, he can present cracks in that structure, cracks that are left unattended to, not mended, become crevices. Crevices over time in a family become craters. And what we're seeing is this giant crater 
in the family where there's a disconnect and our youth are in this vortex and they're being swallowed by the culture and the enemy knows that if he can get their minds, their innocent, pliable minds, then he can, of course, take over an entire generation. We come from a biblical worldview, not only AFA at the core, uh, the ministry I'm a part of, we love to present truth from a biblical worldview, and what you can really boil down these issues of our day, these current events, what can really help you assess them and discern them is looking at them through a biblical worldview. And if the enemy can sever our minds from getting into God's mind, then we can come up with our own thoughts. And when we come up with our own thoughts, we are confused and disoriented. So the enemy works overtime to make this attempt to disconnect us from the Word of God. The Word of God is front and central, and it needs to be the basis and the foundation by which we build our own lives up and our families' lives up. I said this before on the show, and it's how Satan's primary strategy is to get you and I to think independently from God's authority. God's authority, it literally defines morality and sexuality and the infrastructure of the family, and we've seen these restraining orders of God or these barriers or boundaries that God has put in place for the flourishing of humanity breaking down. This is historical, really, but we're seeing a hyper-focus on these breakdowns as of late. That's moral order, the conscience being broken down with the spirit of relativism that, you know, it's my truth versus your truth, as opposed to saying, no, there's one truth, and it's God's truth. And if the moral order breaks down, the social order breaks down, and that's the family, the nuclear structure that God has put in place that is to the flourishing of society. And of course, if the family breaks down, society breaks down. That is made up of law and order. God has given us laws and order because he's a God of law and order and political order. Political order, obviously, we're seeing that being corrupted on a daily basis, especially with the current administration and certain governments, even in the states, we know what's going on across our country in that regard. Walker and the team walk you through on a daily basis some of those current events and how we get back to a biblical worldview. But we have to remember the fourth and final restraining order that I believe God has put in place to course correct all of this is the church. It's the spiritual order that we as Christians, we abide by. We spend time connecting to the vine, and the word of the Lord lives inside of us, so then we can have the discernment and the spiritual authority to see our world from the proper lens. Now, in light of the speaking tour I was on and seeing the disconnect with the students, I'm giving the same message I've been giving for years with the same passion, and yet there's not this eagerness for these young lives to receive it. Could it be COVID? Could it be social media? Yes. But I think by and large, I think it has to do with the family. And I think when the family breaks down, I think the children break down. Came across a news story recently, and I think this is what led me to this topic for the show. And it was the Laura Ingram show, The Ingram Angle on Fox News. And what caught my attention was probably the final 30 seconds of this clip, but I want you to hear what's going on. And as we see violence exploding across our country, you're seeing that the youth and the adolescents, uh, the next generation, they're participating in it in a way that we've never seen before. So listen how the color commentary of this story presents what is happening with our youth. Listen to 
Clip number one. An increasing number of sickeningly violent crimes is being committed by America's youth. Why is this happening? Is it a spiritual problem, family breakdown problem? Is it a cultural problem, policing problem? Or is it a combination of all of them? Well, the stories, the criminality seems to be getting worse. Two Iowa teens have just been accused of killing their 66-year-old high school Spanish teacher with a baseball bat. In Minneapolis earlier this month, a 17-year-old was charged with shooting and killing a man while he sat in his car at a gas station. And last month, a 19-year-old was arrested for the murder of a nine-year-old girl there. Now, back in January, the Star Tribune editorial board warned fear of random violent crime is growing in the Twin Cities. Residents have been attacked at various times of the day in communities across the metro. Authorities have traced most of these frightening cases to teens as young as 13. Joining me now is John Turnipseed, former gang leader, drug dealer, and pimp. He's also the executive vice president of Urban Ventures. John, why is this happening? You're based in Minneapolis. We always think of Minnesota nice, but what's driving the violence? Well, this is sort of the aftermath of George Floyd. When that happened and all the lawlessness came in, kids got a sense of empowerment. And all of a sudden, we're backing off, arresting people for certain things and things of that nature. Well, kids who have a rebel spirit in them anyways, a lot of times, take advantage of this. And now it's sweeping the country, and kids will follow trends. At one time, we had kids that would knock people out, see if they could knock people out with one blow. So this carjacking thing is really scary because it's all across the nation. And it's sort of like a badge of honor now that these kids, and they know that their first offense, nothing will happen to them. How much was the shutdown during COVID also a driver of some of this, where kids were out of school, sometimes for long periods of time, forced to not socialize with each other? I'm not saying that's an excuse, but that couldn't have helped mm -hmm. an already precarious dynamic. That's correct. Kids got, uh, when the shutdown happened, kids got more time to spend with kids. And sometimes that's a really bad situation where kids have too much time to spend with other kids and they get bored and whatever. And all of a sudden they try to think of something to do, something exciting, something that they can do that just makes them so cool and part of the in crowd, sort of say. So yeah, COVID and being out of school hurts tremendously. How about fatherlessness? How does that uh, affect us? Father absence, I think, is the biggest problem we have in the nation. I think if every father went and claimed their kids and fathered their kids and disciplined their kids, we wouldn't have all the problems that we have today. John, thank you for your experience, personal experience, and your insights tonight. And there it was. At the very end, of course, there's other reasons, but fatherlessness, the nuclear family breaking down, which rests upon the man, a country... Our country is only as strong as the foundation of the family. The heritage that has made our country great is because the family has been grounded by the Word of God. Consider how the family is the first human organization that was ordained by God, Genesis 2. It was the bedrock upon which God decided to found society. And of course, it's a picture of God's character. God's integrity is seen in the mother and the father and the husband and the wife coming together to be one flesh. God's care is seen in the unit of the family. There's security in the unit of the family. And of course, it's a perfect picture of God's church. We know that. God gave us his son who became the groom, and the church is his bride. 
And the foundation of the family is only as strong, again, where do we go? Back to the submission to God's authority. And ultimately, listeners out there, ladies and gentlemen, the responsibility primarily rests on the man. The verse that I want to share with you is 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 13 to 14, and the first word. We can't get past it. Watch. Stand fast in the faith. Be brave. Be strong. Let all that you do be done with love. Watch. This is for the men. Are we watching? Are we paying attention? Are we vigilant? Are we aware that there's an enemy who is seeking to devour our children and our families? I saw an interesting scene unfold on vacation not too long ago. It was a father with a son, and it looked like a grandmother. The father was preoccupied looking at his cell phone. I'll never forget it. I'm sitting out by the pool. I watched how the little boy began to go out into the water. You know, it was one of those pools that you start in with, you know, the shoreline, and it slowly but surely goes deeper. Well, he's playing at the shoreline. The father's preoccupied looking at his cell phone, and I'm watching this. Well, the boy went too far, and the father did not see him go under the water. And he literally went under the water, and he's trying to get his breath, and you can see him. I'm jumping up, and guess who came to the rescue? The father didn't even see this. The grandmom. The grandmom jumped into the water with her shoes on, her clothes on, and scooped up her grandson. Then the father, he put his phone down, he was frantic, he was gathering himself, and I remember seeing a picture and going, wow, look at that. When the father's not watching, when the father's not paying attention, it is to the demise of the children. Thank God for grandmothers and grandparents and single parents and moms who have filled the void in that scenario. But this message is for the men out there. I'm calling all the men out there, all the Christian men, to come back to the foundation of the word, to be watchmen over our families, to stand fast in the faith, as the first Corinthians verse tells us. Standing fast in the faith, of course, by being vigilant, is being in our rightful place. And to be in our rightful place, we have to understand the role and the responsibility, according to the word of God, of what it means to be a man. Not a male, but a man. We're going to talk about that. We're going to look at how the Lord has given us a specific role for such a time as this, men. Fathers, husbands, spiritual leaders, so that our children, our families, our wives can plug into us. More when we come back after the break. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth having determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their habitation. My name is Abraham Hamilton III, and this is the Hamilton Minute. The scripture teaches that God has sovereignly determined the boundaries of our habitation and the appointed times in which we would live. That means the fact that you live right now in the United States of America, in the 21st century, following the November 2020 elections, it's not a mere coincidence. It is the time and place that God has appointed for you. This isn't a time to shrink back. It's our moment to contend. May the remnant arise to meet our moment. In Jesus' name. Listen each weekday from 5 to 6 p.m. Central for The Hamilton Corner with Abraham Hamilton III, public policy analyst for the American Family Association. 
This is Raising Godly Girls Minute with Patty Garibay of American Heritage Girls. Is your girl growing up in a faith culture of redemption or shame? Young Christians often view faith as a list of do's and don'ts, all rules, no mercy. While it's incredibly important that our girls grow up learning what is right and wrong in the eyes of God, it's also vital that your girl learn about His mercy and redemption too. Scripture tells us that God's mercies are new every morning, that His faithfulness and compassion for us is great. As humans, we're all sinners. It's how we treat others with Christ-like kindness and mercy that sets believers apart from the crowd. The next time someone sins against you, forgive. Your daughter will witness firsthand the redemption of God's love and mercy through us on earth. Want to learn more? Read about empowering girls through the love of God at RaisingGodlyGirls.com. And my father, your great-grandfather, fought in World War II. Really? He was a gunner on the big ship out in the Pacific Ocean. Wow. Your great-grandmother did her part, too. Was she on a ship? Oh, no. She stayed back home. She and a lot of her friends worked really hard in a factory because the men had gone off to war. And they held scrap metal drives to help in the war effort. The folks back home were heroes, too. Here at the American Family Association, we consider you the heroes back home. As you fulfill your responsibility of caring for your family day to day, your partnership with us is crucial as we fight the enemies of freedom in America. Thank you for your commitment to the American Family Association. Grandpa, what's a scrap metal drive? (laughs) Let's get some cookies and I'll tell you all about it. AFA at the Core podcast are available at AFR.net. Back to AFA at the Core on American Family Radio. And welcome back to AFA at the Core on American Family Radio. My name is Matthew Mayer, filling in for Walker Wildman on this Friday afternoon. Of course, hoping you have an amazing weekend ahead. But before we get there, let's talk about fatherlessness. Really has been a, a central theme for AFA at large, they center down and focus in on the family. They serve the family well. They remind the family of the importance of the Word of God, the authority of Scripture, as it defines these roles that we find ourselves in. I'm looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 13 to 14, for the man, really, this is a message generally for all of us, but for the man, Christians out there, We're to watch, we're to be vigilant as the heads of our families, fathers. We watch over our children. We have a biblical worldview, so we're seeing that there's an enemy who wants to divide, and he wants to conquer, and he wants to destroy, and he wants to steal their minds, and he's working overtime, both in the public school system. We're seeing that earlier and earlier. They're going at our kids, and moms and dads, we need to stand in the gap. I'm passionate about that. We stand fast in the faith. That's what it says in Corinthians. Standing fast in the faith is being in our rightful place. Well, we have to get back to what is our rightful place. When we stand fast, we put our heels in and we're unwilling to move. But we got to have the right grounding, or to use an analogy or illustration I've used before, we have to understand what it means to be a surge protector, spiritually speaking, to be plugged into the right outlet, the Word of God, your local church, various fellowships, 
uh, platforms like AFA at the core, but being willing to be receptive to truth, plugged in, grounded, because there are people in our lives that are looking to plug into us. That's how a surge protector works. Storms will come, surges will certainly happen, but the surge protector, it keeps the devices, children, wives, who are plugged into us, coworkers, family members, friends, it keeps them grounded as well. I believe it starts with the father, the husband, to be grounded. I'll never forget in 2005, my family navigated a tragedy. I'm one of four boys, I'm the youngest, in 2005, I was 21. I was at Temple University as a college athlete playing Division I soccer there. My three older brothers were at different places in their lives. One was playing pro soccer in a different state. My other brother was on deployment as a naval officer. And my oldest brother was in my hometown. And we got the news that he suddenly passed away. It was December 15th. And fast forward through great grief, of course, coming home for Christmas time but not really celebrating Christmas as you would if it was a normal holiday. It was a time where we were coming to plan a funeral. And I'll never forget the scene that unfolded at this funeral. My father stood next to the casket, his junior. My dad's name's John. His junior was in a casket, this lifeless body. I was in the processional line with my two brothers, and my mother was sitting in the front row. And I'll never forget this sight. I think God gave me this as I would need it as a father myself today. I'm the father of two beautiful children. But my father was grieving, and there were tears coming down his face, as you can imagine. He's greeting the community that's coming to pay their respects, but he was rock steady. There was this peace and composure about him, even through this great wave of grief. And I realized he was plugged in to the Lord. He was plugged into the Word, right? Isaiah 26, 3. He will keep him in perfect peace whose mind stays on him. That's God. God keeps the man in perfect peace, shalom, whose mind stays on God, who's grounded, who's plugged in. And what happened was me and my older brothers were able to plug into my father, whether he realized it or not. And even his wife, our mom, was able to plug into her husband. And he became the surge protector. He held to this biblical conviction that God is good and God is faithful. It's what's needed now. And he was unwilling to compromise that position. Now, just consider that surge protector analogy, and now consider what is being said about the various breakdowns that are happening in our society, many of which are blamed on, let's just go through a few, systemic racism, right? That's why there's all these crimes on the rise and all this chaos. It's systemic racism and pits two different classes of people against each other. Or it's disparities, of course, different, you know, Differences between the rich and the poor, and of course, that explains why the youth of today are out of control. Maybe it's culture. Culture has changed. There's a spirit of relativism, of course, that gives the permission for anyone to do anything they want. Maybe it's education, and I'm going, maybe it's all of those. But more importantly, I think it's the breakdown of the family, and I think when the man is out of place, the family suffers. So the man has to get back to his rightful biblical place. And yes, the women have to get back to their rightful biblical place. I'm centering down on the man for today's show. Listen to these statistics. These are alarming. These are single-parent homes. Single-parent homes are five times more likely to have children commit suicide. Five times more likely to commit suicide in a single-parent home. 
six times more likely to end up in poverty in a single parent home, nine times more likely to drop out of high school, 10 times more likely to abuse chemical substances, 14 times more likely to commit rape, 20 times more likely to end up in prison, and 32 times more likely to run away from home. That is astonishing, those stats. And it shows you that God knows what he's doing when he puts in place a family. And the man's role is so important. So the question would be, what's contributing to this? We know it, fatherlessness. But I think it's also men failing to know the biblical basis of the office of husband and father. See, a man doesn't have to be actually physically absent. He can even be emotionally absent or spiritually absent. He's in the home, but he's not in the home. Why? Because we don't understand the office of husband and father. It's an office. Certainly, we step into it. It's not a hat that you put on. It's a heart that you take on. And when you have the heart of a husband and father, you understand the world is trying to propagate a false picture of husband and father. Every news outlet, every media, Hollywood included, they paint the picture of a man as a fool. Have you ever noticed that? Different sitcoms, different comedic episodes, the man's always a doofus. And we laugh at it. Hollywood puts it out. We eat it up. And all the while, it's the complete antithesis to the biblical picture of a man. I preached on this not too long ago, just the idea of manhood, biblical manhood, and the office of husband and father. Somebody put together what we call a sermon jam. There are these short clips of the sermon. In short, really, there's color commentary added to it, picture. Um, Maybe we'll put it up on the website so you guys can see it or share it with your networks if you so decide. But I want you to hear the audio. So listen to what I believe is the problem with the world painting the wrong picture of a man. Run clip two. So we need to define some terms because the world has taken these terms and put their own type of narrative to them. If you haven't caught what has been put out from Hollywood and other sitcoms on TV, did you ever catch this? That in all those family shows, the father and the husband, they are a doofus they're sitting on a couch drinking their beer they're waiting for the wife to come home who's working the nine to five she comes home in her suit all sophisticated he's sitting with the remote in his hand all apathetic about the situation that's going on around him his wife comes home she says something sarcastic to him he responds she goes on her way and the man is painted as a fool we sit there and tune into it. We buy into that lie. The Bible defines husband and father in this way. A husband is from the Latin word that comes to the English language as a house band. Husband is supposed to wrap his arms around his house like a rubber band. That's what a husband does. He comes around his wife The other definition biblically is one who occupies space, one who is in the right place. The second part of that definition, one who cultivates soil. A husband is a cultivator of the soil of his wife and children's hearts. He works the land. 
He puts the work in. He is not complacent. He is not apathetic. He's not indifferent. My role as a husband to my wife is not to mold her into the image of Matt. That would be scary. My role as husband is to unfold her into the image of God. I come alongside of her, not to mold her and make her like me. I come alongside of her to help unfold her personality. I cultivate that soil so that she can be shaped and fashioned in the image of God. The definition of father is patar. It's where we get the word paternal. It means a nourisher. It means one who is a protector, father. One who is an upholder. Sounds awfully like the surge protector analogy to me where people can come plug in to you because you're plugged into God. And the power that's surging through your veins is the Holy Spirit. My mother recapped a story to me about me being a young boy. She said, Matthew, you were so young and so cute. She says, you were watching the TV with me and on the TV was a Michael Jackson concert. And all the kids, teenagers, there was a frenzy. The camera would pan in close And these young kids were screaming at the top of their lungs. There were tears streaming down their cheeks, yelling in total frenzy for Michael Jackson. My mom said, in pure innocence, I turned to her and I said, Mom, what's wrong with all those kids? Do they not have a daddy? They made a connection that is biblical, that children are looking to reach for something. And if the father is out of place, the child will reach for something or someone somewhere else. We need to get back to biblical manhood. Yes, we do. I hope you were blessed by that clip. It was the best way to define the terms of husband and father, which are interesting. Latin, house band, one who occupies space, one who wraps his arms around his place, one who cultivates soil, I'll be honest, I don't have this all figured out. I've been married for seven years. It will be eight years this November. Please do not hear what I'm not saying. I'm failing daily at my role of husband, but I want to do what the Word tells me I should do. In fact, early on in my ministry, several years ago, I was so focused on my ministry as a pastor, as a speaker, traveling around, and it was to to the neglect of my marriage, and it took a reality check to get back to my first ministry, which is my wife. I was pouring more into other people and strangers and families, and I would give them my undivided attention. I would stay out after events, and I would meet every single person, and then I would get home, and you know what would happen? My wife would get sloppy seconds. I'd be drained. I'd be exhausted, and I would justify it, right? Because I'm working for God. She should understand. She should support this. I'm supporting the home. And all these excuses. Meanwhile, she was struggling and suffering. And of course, I wasn't pouring into her the way the Lord would have me honor her. And that led to a great divide between us, of course, and I have to own that. We came back stronger. It was ugly during that season, and I had to learn a hard lesson that she is my number one ministry, my marriage is, and my family is. So what good would it be for me to do this show encouraging you and miss my own family that's right in front of me? Now, as a father, I have two children, beautiful children. My daughter will be three next month in May. My son just turned one in March. And to understand the definition of father 
to nourish them, to protect them, to provide for them. And now understand that more than ever, I'm blessed. I had a father who exemplified that role. So I got to see how he conducted himself as a believer and how I was nourished by the way he lived his life. And I was protected by the way he, he lived his life. And I could plug into him. So that sets an example for me, for my children, right? We know this proverb, families out there, train up a child in the way they should go. And when they get old, they will not depart from it. The Hebrew language is beautiful. Training up a child, it comes with this imagery of shooting a bow and arrow. Like, so picture launching an arrow off of the bow. That's what it means to train up a child. They're going to go in the direction you launch them. They're going to walk in the direction you push them. Now, that proverb is not a promise. Many mothers and fathers out there would say, we trained up our child in the way they should go. We taught them the word of God, and yet they've departed. They've gone in the opposite direction. They're, they're wayward. And I'm saying, keep praying for their hearts, mom and, mom and dad. Keep praying for their souls. That proverb's not a promise. It's just a premise. You do what you can, and you let God do what you can't. Because we are responsible for either producing disciples according to the word, or disciples according to the world. And the worst thing we can do is give our children their own way. Again, not too long ago, my little daughter, I heard her like kind of yelling. So I run upstairs to see what she got herself into. She's about two years of age. And guess where she was? She's in the toilet. Yep, feet and all in the toilet, soaking it up. Now she couldn't make the differentiation between the tub, which she loves to play in the water there, and the toilet. But me, understanding there's a huge difference between the tub water and the toilet water, the worst thing I could do is give her over to her decision and let her stay in there. No, childish perceptions need to be interrupted and harnessed by heaven and grounded by truth. And it's a interesting analogy, but I want her to know the difference between tub water and toilet water. So when she's older, she can make those decisions that lead to a healthy, integrity-filled life. This is what God has called us to as parents. Proverbs 22:15. foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. The rod of correction, the word of the Lord, drives it far from them. And of course, Proverbs 13, 24, he who spares the rod hates his son. But he who loves him dis- disciplines him promptly. Child rearing is an important part of this process. When we come back, we'll continue our thread. When you hear this, this is American Family News. You know what follows is the truth. Your news from a Christian perspective. Hundreds of teachers are going to have to walk into that school building and they are forced to swallow political ideology that in many cases violates their very faith and conscience. If you miss it at the top of the hour, American Family News podcasts are available at AFN.net and sign up for our daily news brief at AFN.net. 
In the mid-1980s, Jerry Cox was a public school history teacher in Arkansas with no political aspirations. That changed when he realized those who held a Christian worldview had no representation in the Arkansas State Capitol. Jerry founded Arkansas Family Council, and for more than three decades, AFC has been the voice of biblical values in Arkansas. More Than Words is an inspirational story, one you should read and encourage others to read as well. Visit afa.net slash the stand. Let's see, if something costs less, but people are happier with it, that sounds like something to look into, and that's MediShare. Maybe you've heard switching to MediShare to pay for health care can save the typical family 500 bucks a month, and that's huge. But it's also true that people are way more satisfied after making the switch, too. The customer satisfaction rate for MediShare is double that of the typical health insurance plan. Double. MediShare works. It's been around for more than a quarter century, and members have shared more than $3 billion of each other's bills. People love having telehealth and a huge nationwide PPO network. So, yeah, you can save a ton and like it better. Imagine being happy with how you're taking care of your health care. So if you're self-employed or part of the gig economy or you just want to plan you're happy with, you can call right now and get a price within two minutes. A very, very smart use of two minutes. Here's the number you need. 833-44-BIBLE. That's 833-44-BIBLE. 833-44-BIBLE. A moment of truth with Gary Bryden. Well, here's some positive news for life. Throughout 2021, state legislatures have dealt with life issues with over 100 abortion limitation laws being passed in about 20 states. The prayer of many pro-life people is that the United States Supreme Court will rule in favor of life and possibly overthrow Roe versus Wade when it rules on the Dobbs versus Jackson case. If that happens, the abortion issue will once again be decided by the states, with many states either severely limiting or possibly banning abortion altogether. During 2021, many American towns became abortion-free zones. Best news yet is that over half of today's youth do not favor abortion. The battle's not over, but victory is in sight. The Association of Independent Methodists, like-minded congregations doing together what can't be done separately. Visit aim2020.com. AFA at the Core podcast are available at AFR.net. Back to AFA at the Core on American Family Radio. And we're back. This is AFA at the Core on American Family Radio. I'm your guest host, Matthew Mayer. Honored to take this sacred position really to have an audience listening and pointing it to the scriptures, the word of God. Walker and his team have been gracious to me to allow this. Where we've been, we've been talking about fatherlessness, really the nuclear family as God has prescribed it, the office of husband and father. And of course, these principles and these lessons can be applicable to even the office of mother and wife, right? But I'm talking to the man. There's a lot of males in the church we need to have men rise up. Speaking of my children as a father, and I'm understanding more and more how important it is for me be, to be in the rightful place where God has entrusted to me so that my children can find the outlet, because I'm plugged in like the surge protector. They can plug into me. And as I said in the previous segment, I found my two-year-old daughter in the toilet, and she didn't know the difference. It was water to her. She thought it was a tub, but it wasn't. The tub has its place, and she can enjoy that versus the toilet, which is a place I want to remove her from. 
Because to give a child their own way is to give way for childish perceptions to bleed into adult relations. And here's what happens. Childish perceptions that aren't interrupted or intercepted or harnessed by heaven eventually bleed into adult relations. So kids that aren't grounded with truth eventually become adults and they still have childish perceptions and how they see the world. Some of those proverbs that are about child rearing are important, right? The rod of correction, the word of authority, boundaries in place over a family, of course, is to the flourishing of our children. We all need to be bridled by the Bible. Let's talk about that. Each of us need to be bridled by the Bible, lest we be out of control. But if we don't get to our children first, then of course the world will swallow them up. The enemy will swallow them up. And it's easier now to rear a child while they're open, while they're pliable, while their consciences can be oriented around the scriptures, it's easier to do that now than it is to repair a man later on who's broken, right? Rear the child now when they're open, it's harder to repair a man later when he's broken. This is what we're seeing. If the enemy can remove the father, he can destroy the family. Now, we've been at this for about 30 minutes. And I want to be very clear when I say fatherlessness is has several tentacles, really. It can be the result of divorce, right? A marriage separating, and a father might have partial custody over his children, but there's, there's still this void there. And I don't want to discourage anybody. If that's your scenario, you do whatever you can to pour into your children, to provide for your family, and trust the outcome to God. But don't neglect it. Fatherlessness is also the result of death. There's a lot of widows out there who have lost their husbands, and the children have lost their fathers, and there's this void there. God fills that void. I know He does. So moms, grandmoms, single parents, keep looking to the Lord. Keep looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Fatherlessness is a result of departure. Men just neglectful. They've left their families. They've gotten up and left for whatever reason. And then there's this other reason of fatherlessness, and it's detachment. A father who is detached, right? And I said earlier, I'm in ministry full-time, and I had a detachment issue. I was I was so attached to ministry, I was detached from my family, and I was justifying it, and that's wrong. Now, there are so many videos out there, really, that will speak to fatherlessness, a lot of stats and a lot of different data that proves God knows what he's doing. And sometimes these things are hard to hear, but I also think they can be useful to remind us of our roles and goals as Christians on planet Earth, because there's a lot of noise that surrounds us, there's a lot of distractions, and I think shows like this are reality checks for all of us, every listener out there, to get back to what God has for us in regards to the role and goal to our families. So the question I want to answer, well, I'm not going to answer it, I'm going to let Dennis Prager answer it for me. Are fathers necessary? That's the question. Are fathers necessary? Listen to clip number three. Are fathers necessary? For all of recorded history, the need to explain why fathers are necessary would have been regarded as, well, unnecessary. It would have been like explaining why water or air is necessary. But we live at a time in which the obvious is routinely denied. There have been articles in the most prestigious journals denying the importance of fathers. The Atlantic magazine, for example, published an article titled, 
Are fathers necessary? A paternal contribution may not be as essential as we think. The New York Times published a discussion among five intellectuals titled, What Are Fathers For? One of them, Hannah Rosen, an editor at New York Magazine, opened her response by stating, I'm not sure whether a child needs a father. I could give dozens of such examples. I'll just give one more. HuffPost published a piece titled, Fathers Are Not Needed. Fortunately, this dismissal of the importance of fathers is not universal. In a 2008 Father's Day speech, a few months before his election as President of the United States, Barack Obama said, Fathers are critical to the foundation of each family. That they are teachers and coaches, they are mentors and role models, they are examples of success, and they are the men who constantly push us toward it. What makes his comments particularly noteworthy is that Barack Obama grew up without a father. Both boys and girls need fathers. We'll begin with boys. A boy has no built-in understanding about how to be a man, meaning a good and responsible man. Male nature is wild, most obviously regarding sex and violence. If a boy does not have a father who models how a man controls himself, he will most likely not know how to control himself, let alone want to. That's why most males in prison for violent crimes grew up without a father. After days of riots in the UK in 2011, quite like the 2020 riots in America, Christina Adone wrote a column for the London Telegraph, whose title says it all. London riots, absent fathers have a lot to answer for. In the column, she wrote, The majority of rioters are gang members. Like the overwhelming majority of youth offenders behind bars, these gang members have one thing in common, no father at home. There's just so much to chew on with a clip like that, and that was half the clip, really, but I can relate to the content on a very intimate and personal way, being an inmate of the state for five years. And if you're listening for the first time to my voice and you're going, did he just say that? I'm going, yes, I was an inmate of the state for five years based on a decision I made in 2009 where I ended up in prison and I got to talk to all types of guys, not just youth offenders, adult offenders. And there was a fascinating, no, I shouldn't say fascinating. There was a disturbing correlation between their upbringing of course, the crimes they committed, and fatherlessness. A lot of these guys didn't have fathers. A lot of the gang guys, they grew up looking for security, looking for identity, and of course, a gang would provide both those, even though they're false securities and false identities. But it was a family to them. And of course, off to the races, committing crimes, to be accepted. And what I realized, a lot of these guys would go in prison, out of prison, to come back to prison in prison, get out of prison, come back to prison. And you recognize the loss of, listen to this, ladies and gentlemen, the loss of freedom. And trust me, losing my freedom, unbelievable that you are in a place where you have no freedoms. They tell you what to do. They tell you where to go, what to eat. You have nothing. But the loss of all of that has no impact like the loss of fathers. The loss of freedom has no impact like the loss of a father. That's why jail 
doesn't do it. These guys are going in and out. It's because they don't have father figures or role models or spiritual leaders who are willing to lead the charge. And I would go out to the prison visit hall to see my family. And of course, the visit would be terminated and we'd have to line up like cattle and they would shuffle us back behind a gate and the gate would slowly close. And before it slowly closed, as family and wives and children were saying goodbye and we're all lined up and we're about to get patted down and strip searched and right before that gate would close, you would see kids yelling for their dads. Dad, they would yell and you would see little kids trying to get free from their mom and and run to their dad, but they couldn't because dad was going behind the wall and they would reach out with their arms and it was this picture I can't get out of my head. Why? Because it goes back to the surge protector analogy. Those kids, those families, those wives, they're reaching for a man, and he's not there. A kid's reaching for a father, and he's not there. So they go on their way, and guess what happens? That kid is going to reach for someone or something somewhere else. And because dad's not there to fill the void and be that surge protector, our children are reaching for drugs and alcohol and identity in the wrong places, and they're confused. They don't know if they're male or they're female because dad's male prominent um, example isn't there for the boy. And even the girl is going to need a dad to provide security. And I'm passionate about this because I see it when I go into the high schools and teach these kids and talk to these kids. There's a disconnect. It's the surge protector. Right? 1 Corinthians 16. It tells us, watch. Stand fast in the faith. Be brave. Be strong. Let all that you do be done with love. Be brave, men. Be strong. Being brave and being strong isn't about running through a wall. That's another improper picture of manhood. And that's great, being tough, being courageous to run through a wall. No, no, but this biblical courage is about being a wall. Don't run through the wall, just be a wall. Be immovable. Stand your ground. Don't give ground. Don't give the enemy any ground in your home. Casper Ten Boom, known figure in history, Corey Ten Boom, Betsy Ten Boom, The Hiding Place, uh, during Nazi Germany, they hid Jews from the Nazis. Well, there's this awesome story about Casper Ten Boom, and Corey tells it, and she says that a clergyman or a pastor came by, and they wanted to get some of the Jewish babies, and a, um, a mother of a, a Jewish baby wanted to get the baby outside of the city. And the pastor, to their disappointment, he declined. He wasn't willing to risk his life, his security. And this is when Corey writes in her book, Unseen by any of us. My father appeared in the doorway. He said, give me the child, Corey. Father held the baby close, his white beard brushing the baby's cheek, looking to the little face with eyes as blue and innocent at the, as the baby's own. At last, he looked up to the pastor and said this, you say we could lose our lives for this child? I would consider that the greatest honor that could come to my family. Wow. You're saying, Pastor, that you can lose your life if you take this child to security? I'm saying I would be honored to lay down my life for this child's security. That's biblical manhood and bravery. Because at the end of the day, Proverbs 13.22 holds true. A good man, a godly man, leaves an inheritance to his children's children. Wait, to your children, and it's so impactful, it transcends your children and impacts their children. But it's not monetary. Money fades. 
Money doesn't last. It's not real estate. It's not houses and, and bank accounts. No, spiritual heritage is legacy and character that is given to your children, and it's so impactful, you want to give it to your children. And I'm a father, and I'm a recipient of my father's legacy, and I want to give it to my children. And at the end of the day, your life, my life will not be defined by its duration, right? How long we live. Our life's going to be defined by our donation, what we give. Watch. Stand fast in the faith. Men, be brave. Be strong. Let all that you do be done with love. I love that final part of the verse. Why? Because we can get caught up in the bravery part and the strength part and the grit part and the courage part and not have compassion. It's like, no, 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 no. Blend the two. Merge the two. Be strong. Be courageous. But have compassion. You'll need that. And when the work of the Lord is accomplished in your heart, it can be accomplished in other people's hearts. See, the work of God cannot be flowing through us unless the work of God has first and foremost happened to us, right? I have to be impacted by this Father in heaven and his love for me and how he watches over me and how he stands fast for me and he is the strong one. He's brave and he does everything in love and I know that because I have Jesus Christ's life as the expression of the Father. Now I want to make sure I speak to anyone out there as we end the show that might not have a father. And you're saying, I didn't grow up with a dad or a wife who lost a husband and you're you're struggling raising the kids. And I want to remind you, Psalm 68 verses 5 and 6 speak to that. Please hear this. A father of the fatherless, a defender of the widows is God in his holy habitation. God in his holy habitation. He's a father to anyone out there that doesn't have a father. He is a perfect heavenly father. He's a defender of any spouse out there who has lost their loved one. He defends, he secures, he sets solitary in families, he sets security in the family, he sets the protection in the family. Why? Because we need him to fill those voids. There's no crack as we started the show. There's no crevice, there's no crater that cannot be filled by the love of the Savior. Men, let's get back to biblical manhood. Our families need it. Have a blessed weekend. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.